Uh, breaker 19, this here's a rubber duck. You got a copy on me, Big Ben? Come on. Oh, uh, yeah, 10-4, Big Ben, for sure, for sure. By golly, it's clean, clear to Flagtown. Come on. Yeah, that's a big 10-4 there, Big Ben. Yeah, we definitely got the front door, good buddy. Mercy sakes alive, looks like we got us a convoy. Dark of the moon on the 6th of June in the Kenworth pulling logs. Welcome back to Pop Don't Lie Radio 1049 The Horde. Top of the charts Tuesday. Uh, I'm always surprised at what reached the top of the Billboard hey, charts back Apparently, in the day. early in like January, people love story songs. <laughs> so, what year is this? This is like early 70s. Okay. Uh, for Top of the uh, Charts Tuesday, we, we play jams that reach the top of the Billboard charts on this day in history. And this, at one point, was number one, numero uno. Dude, all the truckers listening to it. I was going to say, wow. that song is called Convoy, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. No. See, this one's a story of a bunch of truckers being like, they lowered the speed limit on us, so we're just going to convoy, and they can't pull us all over. But, and that's the basically the premise. But then, like... The convoy, that's speeding, like right behind you? Like, so it's a bunch of yeah. uh, truckers, like 18-wheelers. Yeah, but I know they're just speeding. Well, there's a thing they used to do, and this is when yeah. CB radios first came out. And man. it was a big deal that all these truckers get CB radios, and they're like, hey, man, let's get a convoy. And so the speed limit's like 55, but if we're all going 90, they can't pull over 25 trucks. They just pull over one or uh, two? And so they just man. wouldn't. They'd just be like, well, there's a convoy of trucks, and they just keep going and won't pull over. It's pretty dangerous. Oh, yeah. That's what they do back in there. <laughs> it's pretty dangerous. It's definitely not in the interest of public safety. <laughs> no. He's, he's, well, in this one, wheelers yeah. going 90 miles an hour. And all of them were on 35. They were all on 35. <laughs> <laughs> driving downtown. I, say, uh, I am not, I'm not a fan of this song. <laughs> no, and then uh, in this song, by the end of it, uh, they got like helicopters going after them. Yeah. And there's like a thousand trucks in a line. Yeah, they're, they're blowing through toll roads and they're stuff. They're outlaws at this point. Yeah. They're, they're, they're basically outlaws at this point. Okay, there you go. Learn something new. There yeah, you, you can get that. C.W. McCall. Man. You man. know, another great name in music history. C.W. McCall. <laughs> you said man, was one hit wonder, I'm assuming? No, I don't know. This is, I'm playing it off his greatest hits, so. Oh, oh. <laughs> that, well, that, you know what? You can still be able, I guarantee you a lot of one hit wonders with greatest hits out there still. A band yeah. I used to work Millie for. Millie Vanilli probably has the greatest hits, too. A band I used to work <laughs> for put out their, their record called, uh, <laughs> called Greatest Misses. Uh, greatest <laughs> Misses. <laughs> I like that. Uh, all right, top of the trend. Tuesday, always learning something new. Thanks, my man Patrick, the idealionaire. You can be a part of the show. Specs Text Line is the best way to do it. 512-337-3776. Uh, Cowboys fans, there is good news, great news actually out there for Cowboys fans. Uh, you are getting some, if not all, of your uh, your injured players, your injured starters back for the playoffs. Remember, uh, Leighton Vander Esch yep. has been out for a couple of weeks. Uh, Leighton Vander Esch, uh, it has been reported uh, that he is on schedule to practice, expected to practice with the team. Uh, Tyler Biotish also expected to practice with the team. Um, and Jonathan Hankins, he, there has been nothing mentioned about uh, him regressing. Right. In his rehab and recovery. So I'm assuming that he is going to be back, or at least that's one of the reports, is that he's on track. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what his official status is. Yeah, I think we'll learn a little bit more as the week goes on when they really start to dive into the practices. And, and, yeah. and again, you've talked about this before, about how they've, they have options of how they're going to activate certain people and the windows of activation. Yeah, the injury, yeah. yeah. You practice so, what? Yeah, yeah, so you got some time that is in there. But one of the biggest things that I've been looking at is what is 
the importance of Van Der Esch. We've looked at this defense and how they played the last few weeks, and they haven't been good. They haven't been actually uh, playing to the higher standards in which they were playing before, but I still continue to figure out, try to figure out what team of the Dallas Cowboys are we going to see? What are, what team is going to go out there? I saw some stats the other day about how Dow- they're wearing the blue jerseys. I'm like, what? why are we going I heard, there? I heard Jason Garrett talk about playing on grass and turf. In grass they play and better turf. In, yes. on grass and turf. Or yeah, like that. There's yeah, so that, many yeah. different stats that are out there that everybody's trying to dive into to try to get this team to figure out what's next for them. But it makes me a little bit nervous when we're getting ready to go up against Tom Brady, team that uh, a quarterback that has beaten the Cowboys seven times in a row. It don't matter where they play him at. He's been beating them, and if they can't get pressure on the quarterback, it is going to be a major, major problem. And you talked about it before, Rod. They haven't been getting to the quarterback as of late. They haven't had a ton of sacks yeah. here in the, the last pressure, few the weeks. The pressure rate's been consistent, but the sacks have got to get him. Off. The other team's quarterback must go down, and he must go down hard. Yeah, no doubt. And that, we haven't been able to get to that. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree 100%. It's, it, it, to your point about LVE, um, this is why it's important for Leighton Vanderus to come back. And I, I, I don't know why the defensive success rate drops off the way it does, but it does when Leighton Vanderus is not there. So his, his, you look at the snaps, the snaps without Leighton Vanderus this year, your rushing defensive success rate, um, um, with and without VLVE, the difference is you drop from, uh, second, in the NFL, in defensive rushing success rate, 65.3% um, to to 32nd in the NFL without LVE. Yeah. 47.3%. Uh, your defensive success rate with LVE is fourth in the NFL, 61.5%, um, and it drops to 26th in the NFL without him. He's been crucial. Uh, just basically the central nervous system of your defense and I think for and for those who don't know what success rate is, just real quick, basic definition. Um, basically, uh, if a play gains at least fifty percent of the yards required to get a first down on first down, seventy percent of the yards required to get a first down on second down, and a hundred percent of the yards required uh, or yards to gain on third and fourth down. That's how yeah. they do success rate. Um, just so I'm not just. Talking through, you're talking over somebody's head. That's what success rate is, but it drops off uh, exponentially. You know, I mean, precipitously when LVE is not on, not within uh, the, uh, not within the, not on the roster. I should say, and not on the field. And I think him coming back along with Jonathan Hankins, whenever he comes back, because your yards per rush allowed with Jonathan Hankins uh, drops from 4.53 without him uh, to 3.67 yards per rush allowed when Jonathan Hankins is on the field. Getting those two pieces back is going to help out your rushing defense, um, and I think that will give me a lot of confidence. I think you should be optimistic that those two pieces alone will help out the Cowboys defense just in the rush defense alone. It will give you a big boost. Add some juice to it. Well, we definitely need a boost. We need the juice. We need everything to go out there (laughs) and go to work because, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but the thing that is really disheartening is the offensive side of the ball is not moving the the team on the ground. 
That is it. They didn't use a lot of play play action. They didn't use a lot of motion. They haven't made anything. And if they were going to go out there and play vanilla type of offense, why did you have your starters play the entire game? Because now you got people looking at this team as somebody that's a failure. You putting the ball in Dak's hand, I know he's a $40 million quarterback and everybody's all over him. Hell, I'm all over him. I'm, I'm to the point now where I'm getting nervous every time he drops back. But take the ball out of his hand by running the football. And I know the offensive line has regressed a little bit. But we've been hearing about how good this team is and the movements that they've done. Joe Philbin, you just brought him up just mm-hmm. a little while ago. He needs to get on those guys and make sure that they get motivated for this game because what we've seen the last couple of weeks, what did you say, 2.3 yards a carry or something? In the last four weeks, Zeke and Tony Pollard are averaging 2.9 yards per carry combined. What my man Tom Tom Herman say, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing. I made a shirt about that for Tom Herman. (laughs) But I sit there and I'm trying to figure out what are we going to do differently because if those two guys – aren't controlling, and that's Tony Pollard and and Zeke Elliott aren't controlling this game. This could be a long night because you don't want to you don't want to have to throw it forty five times to beat them. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Stephen Jones was on 105.3 The Fan. Uh, they asked him about um, the running game mm-hmm. and what could help the running game, and he brought up an interesting point uh, that I think is pretty valid. Here's Stephen Jones. Stephen. The run game hasn't been its best lately. What gives you optimism that the running game can get back on track in the playoffs? Well, I mean, uh, you know, one of the things that will be helpful is uh, get Biotic back. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, getting him back will be a big deal. And, uh, uh, you know, he's the quarterback of that offensive line. I think things just go a little smoother. Not that Connor doesn't do a nice job in there, but it's not where he's played most of the time. I think to get him back, uh, to get our starting center back in the middle of that offensive line uh, is going to go a long ways toward uh, helping that. I think it coincides with uh, the games that he's missed uh, in terms of our, our struggles. I like our conviction to run the ball. Uh, I just think we've got to be more productive doing it, and, and I think we can. There you go. Uh, what are your thoughts that Tyler Biotti – remember, he was playing like one of the better centers in the NFL when he got hurt. He was. And I will say that the – regression of the running game does coincide, like you said, with Tyler Biotish's injury. But how effective is he going to be coming back from the injury? That's the other part of it. Yes, he may make all the calls, but is he going to be that explosive center getting out and leading, or is he going to have to you know, go half speed? I mean, I, I don't care how it happens. Just get better in the run game because in order for you to have success, you, and when we talked about it, that you your run game is going to help your defense. Mm-hmm. Your defense is going to be fresh. They're not going to be gassed. You're not going to see Micah Parsons every five plays taking a knee because he wants to take a break because they've been on the field so long. You also want to make sure that you keep Tom Brady, regardless of how bad they are, regardless if this hasn't been their best year, them going into the playoffs with a losing record. It doesn't matter because right now they're in the playoffs. And if anybody knows how to play in the playoffs, it's him. Damn right. And he's going to elevate everybody. Oh, and also add into the fact that you're playing the Dallas Cowboys in primetime on a Monday night football game at home. Mm -hmm. He's going to be ready. That's the way Jerry Jerry Jones wants it, man. Yeah, be careful. That's how you start the season, Yeah, and you might end up Mm. ending your season. 
Yeah, and, and I hope I hope that is not the case. I hope you uh, end it on a better note. I hope you're ending it against somebody else. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not Tom Brady, um, because that would be you know, kind of Shakespearean irony that you ended up losing to the team to, to end the season that you lost to to start the season. Uh, that wouldn't be good. And I'll say this, though. For the Cowboys, my biggest concern um, going into the game, because I like that you're getting Tyler Biotis back. I like that you're getting Jonathan Hankins back. I like that LVE's coming back. Uh, those are all, I think, really going to be uh, impactful reinforcements that you're getting back for the playoffs, impact players. I'm worried about that corner opposite Trevon Diggs going up against Tom Brady, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, that pass attack. They won't get long uh, to throw the football because – Cowboys got a ferocious pass rush. Um, they lead the NFL, one of the NFL leaders in in, uh, in pressure rate. Uh, but, man, that corner has been a problem, and the Cowboys can't really figure it out. I'll give them a lot of credit. I always say coaches are problem solvers. They're doing their best. They're throwing a ton of different solutions at that problem that they haven't really solved it yet. Hadn't been Kelvin Joseph. It's not Nation Wright. It wasn't Trayvon Mullen in the last game. And now they're bringing in another uh, DB. Yeah, Xavier Rhodes. I'm like, uh, what's going to happen now? And he's a big, big defensive back, but is he going to be able to run with these guys? And I know you you, you said they're not going to be able to stretch the field near as much, but that, this makes me nervous going into this game when we got a guy that hadn't even been on the field, like in a game here lately, and you're going to try to go out there and make some things happen in this short period of time. You still have to go up against Julio Jones. You still have to go up against Mike Evans, is what you said. And then you also got Chris Godwin, but you also got the tight ends. They've been making plays. That mm-hmm. running game has been doing well. They don't. They don't. They're not. They don't look like world beaters. But the last few weeks, the Cowboys haven't looked like world beaters either. And it's a one-game sure. playoff right now. This is it. There is no tomorrow. Cowboys are a better team than the Bucks. Agree. So they shouldn't lose to the Bucks. That's simple. I know they're on the road. But and I agree, they're going up against the GOAT, so there's a lot of reasons that you know that could blow up in the Cowboys' face. Uh, but the Cowboys are a better team than the Tampa well, Bay Buccaneers. But that's what we want to see. Is like That's it. the big thing, is can the Cowboys show up and look like the better team? Hmm. Because they haven't in the last few weeks shown up with that attitude and the swagger of, oh, no, we're the Cowboys, we should be the better team, we're going to go and win. They haven't had that in the last few weeks. You need to have that. You need to be able to walk in there and go, "Oh no, we're completing. We're making the right plays. We're getting. We're running the ball. We're we're finding. Hey, we're not really able to get first down. Run the ball. It's third and we're third and five. We're not at third and twelve. Yeah, and we yeah. can hit Dalton Schultz over seven yard game. We're moving the ball. Hey, we're just kind of going. Oh, now it's a big player over the top. If you can do that, that's the Cowboys you want to see. If it's first down, one yard, <laughs> second down, big shot downfield miss. Now it's third and nine. Yeah, give like, a brother that, some that's not play the action. No, give and, a brother and, some play action. This the play week. action would help and motion and more more pre snap motion would help. Yes. I also and I, I listen. I like Kelly Moore, but I'll get on Kelly Moore too. The first down play calling has just been terrible. It's yep. been porous. I, I really don't know how what's happening to them on first down. They're the worst first down team in the NFL in the last two games, and they're only averaging two point five yards per play on first down, which means you're always behind the chains. On second and third down, which means usually teams throw the ball when they're in second and long and third and long. If they start winning more on first down, that goes back to the run game. Mm-hmm. Um, their run game has also been subpar on first down. It's been subpar, period, for the last 
uh, four games. Um, but if they can start, I think right now in first down, last two games, the Cowboys are averaging 1.7 yards per rush. Right. And that on, and that's that's not even a threat. That's crazy. Against the uh Wash against Washington, the Commanders, they average one point four yards per rush on first down. No threat. You, you, that means you're in second, long, third, long. You're the already predictable. Game to Patrick's point. Everybody knows that you're going to throw the ball on second and third down, so they got to start winning more on first down. That's on Kellen Moore. He's got to be more creative on first down. Maybe more play action pass on first down. Maybe more pre snap motion on first down. Whatever you got to do. Um, maybe you up your pass rates on first down and don't even, and stop trying to run the ball on first down. I think getting Tyler Biotis will help. Um, getting him back will help. But they got to be more innovative with their first down play calls. They have been. Bad, just straight up bad. Well, and again, and stale. Not running the ball does not mean you can't run. You can run screen passes. You can go try and run things to the outside. I, I hate the offensive coordinators who just go, well, you know, we're, we got to run the balls first down. So run it through the tackle. So run it through the guard. And you're like, why? Why is that your only play call for running? And when it doesn't work, you just say, well, I guess we can't yeah. run. The, you're like, no, be yeah. creative. The great, like, Kyle Shanahan has great running because Mike Shanahan had great running because yeah. they didn't get. Like simplistic with it, yep. they would go and make different uh, moves. The the linemen would have different formations and different you know blocking schemes. Those kind of things you can do, and if you don't want to do that, that's just you being lazy because you're a quarterback and you only want to throw but the they, ball. They did it earlier in the season. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, why, I know you have the ability to do that's it. That's why this is yes. That's why this is mind numbingly frustrating. Is because at Maybe they did, you know, they always say that, uh, you know, necessity is the mother invention. So maybe because Cooper Rush was out there, they had to do it. Like, oh, man, we have to make sure that the running game is the focus of the offense. And that means we got to be really creative about the way we run the football. We can't just be, you know, uh, focused on the interior runs or the perimeter runs. Got to mix in misdirection. Got to have a lot of different elements to the running game, whether it be personnel packages with Three tight ends on the field. Remember that? Hadn't yep. seen that in a while. More often, multiple offensive linemen, like sorry, multiple, but six offensive linemen on the field. They would, they would, they were doing things that were more creative and innovative early in the year. But Patrick, maybe you're right. Maybe because they got Dak back, maybe they decided we don't need to do that anymore to get a schematic tactical advantage. And I would beg to disagree. No, and that's and that's honestly, it's that Colts game to me was the game where mm-hmm. they came out and did whatever they wanted to the Colts because the Colts are not a good football team this year. Yep. And they did whatever they wanted, and after that, we got back to Kellen Moore being too cute. And Kellen Moore saying, oh, I get to dive into my bag of tricks, and we're going to do all this stuff. And you're like, the tr- put the tricks back away. You can't count one game against a bad team as the reason why you can start trying to run what you want to run. You have to go back to what works for the team and what you were doing earlier in the season when you won all these games. Yeah, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a, this is a tough, tough week for me because of the fact of maybe I'm I'm what do they call it um, scared? Maybe I'm just scared of the fact that I don't have faith in nobody on that team right now. <laughs> I mean it's 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 just so frustrating. We think about it. The last couple of weeks you went up against Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew put up what thirty five against you. Last week you went up against Sam Howe. Sam Howe who hadn't played all year went out there and beat you. And and then your defense, who we thought was the best part about you for a while, they haven't been as aggressive. And maybe everybody's trying to make me think, oh, maybe they were trying to hold something back. If they were trying to hold something back, why did they have everybody playing? 
Mm. That's the thing that is disheartening to me. What we saw was a team that looked unprepared and didn't care what was going on. They didn't care about – remember when we were talking about um, Texas? Are they finishing out the season or are they playing for next year? That's what I felt like the Cowboys. You had an opportunity to win 13 games. It doesn't matter that it didn't eventually matter, but you still are limping into the playoffs and not looking sharp, and you have shown me nothing that would make me believe that you can turn on a switch – and go out there and do what you want to do. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, they are not a flippy switch team. Not even um, close to I, it. I think they're a momentum team. And when they got a lot of momentum, they're a really dangerous team. But right now they don't seem to have a ton of momentum going to the playoffs. Uh, one uh, little nugget of information before we get out of here. The Denver Broncos, for the second year in a row, gentlemen, they have requested an interview. With Dan Quinn, they're big Dan Quinn fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a matter of fact, and you, uh, I think, uh, texted this to us, Harge, that also Russell Wilson, because mm-hmm. of his time with Dan Quinn, is a big Dan Quinn fan, and they are locked in with Russell Wilson, handcuffed to Russell Wilson uh, for the next four or five years, whether they like it or not. And Dan Quinn, maybe you know, Dan Quinn's the guy for the Denver Broncos right now. It says that he's one of the top candidates for their head coach, head coaching vacancy, and he was one of the three finalists last year before they settled on Nathaniel Hackett, which he's already out. And a lot of people believe that because of the Denver defense um, already having some pieces, and they have a really good young DC there. Um, so I don't know, maybe that he he may take offense to Dan Quinn coming in running a different system. Uh, but either way, a lot of people believe that he's a front runner for this job. I mean. Uh... I think it would be a big move for Dan Quinn. Uh, but do you trust anything Russell Wilson says at this point? I mean, I know they have I, history. <laughs> I understand. But obviously the Hackett situation didn't work. But looking at what's going on in this league, do you feel that listening to him at this point, I know he's got the money, he's got, you know, he's gonna be a major part of the success, but I'm I'm kind of wondering why we're always letting all these quarterbacks now have a say in it. I saw that the Cardinals are talking about Kyler Murray's going to be involved in the conversations for the next guy. Yeah, I, it's a courtesy. You have I, to do it. It's the NBAification of the NFL. And I think, it's, it's something you have to do. Deshaun, remember Deshaun Watson is one of the people who initially got upset about this with yeah, the Texans, yeah, yeah. and people just even if you don't listen to their advice, you should at least consider their opinion. And then you can do whatever the hell you want to do. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's also something to be said. Like, I, I don't really care as much that that Russell Wilson says that he likes Dan Quinn. It's that I think Dan Quinn would know how to better use Russell Wilson and get him more in line with the locker room because he saw what Pete Carroll did in Seattle that hid a lot of these problems that Russell Wilson had for so many years. So I think if you're a team, you can say, hey, man, we need somebody with experience and somebody that knows that we have a quarterback that's quirky and this guy knows his quirks. Yeah. So he can come in, and I, it's not so much that he makes Russell Wilson feels good, is that he knows how to make everyone else and make the defensive players and the and the wide receivers and everybody else go, oh, and he just mm-hmm. goes, oh, that's Russell, man. But no, trust me, he'll be the first one here to practice tomorrow morning. We'll talk to him then. Yeah. I mean, he's, he told me to call his publicist. Oh, don't worry about that. You know, Russell, he just is weird, and there's miscommunication. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to call him tonight, and I'll get it today, and we'll talk tomorrow morning. And if you have that guy versus a first-year head coach, then I think it makes it a little bit easier. And him knowing what Pete Carroll had to do helps. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm just looking at it 
as one of these situations where whoever's going to take that job that has to kind of rein him in, so to speak, and get him on the same page with everybody, that's the last thing you need to be doing. That's as a head coach that's trying to build your your football team and because your job's on the line as soon as you walk in the door. Yep, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta salvage. His, his ain't going nowhere. Yeah, you gotta salvage <laughs> Russell Wilson's career at the same time. Salvage your job. Yeah, make them a championship contender. Well, no, I, you're right. The bigger thing for me in that is I don't know how who you bring in as your OC. Mm-hmm. That's the bigger question to me is if you hired Dan Quinn, who are you going to get out to get your OC to make that offense actually work? That mm-hmm. to me is the harder part of hiring a defensive coach. Is now you have to go find a really good offensive coordinator who is not already an offensive coordinator because he's not going to make a lateral move to Denver. Right. You have to go get somebody, or you are you have the Waltons money now, so you go find an offensive coordinator who's making a hundred grand. you offer him a million. Like, you can do that that's because Denver has money, but I, that's the harder part for me of hiring Dan Quinn is trying to find the OC to go with that. No doubt. Hearts, what you got for the people coming up on Hearts Knock Life? Well, 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 another story comes out about one Carlos Correa. And let me just tell you, this is the most confusing offseason I've ever been a part of, and I wonder where does this end? Yeah, I can't wait to hear this because uh, I, I don't know where the carousel uh, stops spinning. That's Carlos Correa. We'll see. We come back right here on Harsh Knock Life. Uh, on Ball- Ladies and gentlemen, guys and dolls, the main event of the evening for your entertainment and pleasure. Mike, you have to be so combative. Now, I probably wouldn't say this in front of white folks. But in front of y'all, I'm gonna speak my mind. He has emotional anger issue problem. Hey, are you Dirty Mike and the boys? I'm Mike Lowry. Michael! Oh, that's funny. Michael! Welcome back to a Top of the Charts Tuesday edition of Ball Don't Lie. It's your boy, Harbaugh Hard. You can follow me on Twitter, at Harbaugh Hard. You can follow my man, Rob Babers, at Rob Babers. And you can follow the man behind the glass that's in charge of Top of the Charts Tuesday, my man, it's at It's Patrick Davis. We also love it when you're a part of the show, hitting us up on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. Okay, this has been a very interesting offseason, so to speak, for Major League Baseball and the transactions that were supposed to happen, that we thought were going to happen, that actually did not happen. And the main person that has been involved with this is our man, Carlos Correa. We have been looking back at this. He's been offered. This is, this is the thing that really will tell you everything you need to know. During this offseason, period, he has lo- Carlos Correa has lost over $150 million Ooh. over the course of the offseason. Mm. The 13 million, 13 years, excuse me, $350 million we thought was going to happen with the San Francisco Giants. Nope, didn't happen because of an injury report from his medical from pending a physical. Then while they were going through that and the Giants wanted to look at him and, and try to figure everything out, he said, nope, I'm going to the Mets. I'm going to sign a 12-year million contract. Mm. Uh, News comes out of New York. And by the way, New York was spending, spending, spending during that time. News comes out. uh, They're still pinning on his physical and they're seeing something on his report that doesn't really look good. And you're like, 
okay, well, where else is he going to go? <laughs> where else can he be possibly going? Oh, you know what? He's going to go back to Minnesota as my man Jeff Passan wow. dropped the bomb on us today. But by the way, come on, man. still got to be pending that physical. But that physical that everybody is questioning and you are bouncing from club to club. <laughs> Just listen to this part of it. He could have been he was he, Carlos Correa would be the first player in the history to have agreed to over 800 million dollars in contracts in one offseason. Wow. Think about that. He got offered That's 350, crazy. 315 <laughs> and now he's looking at a 6-year, 200 million dollar contract that he is trying to pass this physical. So here's my question to you guys. He's only 28 years old. He's one of the best players in the game, especially defensively. He's had a great job. He's done good things. But here is the thing that really puts it in perspective. I believe that the Astros offered him a six-year Hundred and fifty million dollar contract back then. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to give him a lot. Didn't want to go over the top. Me and Patrick talked about this earlier. He was definitely worth the money mm. from what he was able to do. But then you sit there and again, this is a team that drafted you, worked with you, been with you, got everything you needed out of it. You won a World Series with the team, mm-hmm. but they also know your dirt. They know your injury report. That's true. Maybe that's why they didn't feel comfortable giving you all of Mm. that money. And then you get a chance. They work everything out. You go to Minnesota, and you have a great year. They gave you the opt-out in your contract. They they were working with you. Mm -hmm. They did all this stuff. But then, nope, I'm going to try to chase this big dollars. I mean, I don't blame him, Scott Boris. I'm going to go out there and work it, work it, work it. Straight cash But did you not think somebody that's about to give you $350 million is not going to look at your physical to make sure that that money is going to be worth it to you? So you start, okay, excuse me, five years, 160. Okay, I was close. I was was right there with the number. (laughs) So you sit there and you look at it and you go, wow. Is this going to be something that is going to come back on Carlos Correa to where he's going to be a one-and-done type of guy everywhere that he goes? Is he? Is everybody looking at him? They're offering him six. They're offering him the money. They're going to give him the opportunity. He's got, I mean, all this offseason, my man almost had $800 million. He's agreed to $800 million during man. the offseason and still has not signed with anybody. That's very intriguing to me. Yeah. This is very intriguing to me. And it also changes the way people are looking at uh, these physicals because the baseball, he has a history because of his leg. And he has it. I told Patrick, if you ever watched him run, he runs a little. He, it looks like he's working hard to run. <laughs> it's like it's not a smooth. He's a bigger guy. So I get that. But. It's not. It's like he's he's really having like to run. Inefficient. Yeah. 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 But now I start looking at him, I'm like, well, maybe that was something that was there because this was, what, 2014 he had this injury? And that's the other part. 2014, you're still dealing with this now. There's something on that report that is not good. Whether It's a red flag, man. Or maybe, you know, we were talking, maybe he doesn't have cartilage. Maybe there's something that's in there that says, man, 
you look like you might have three, four, five more years left. Yeah. From something that's on there. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I remember back, the Spurs drafted a guy, Dewan Blair, out of Pitt. Oh, who yeah, was supposed yeah. to be a higher pick, but when they did the physicals before the draft, they were like, you don't have, like, cartilage in your knees. Yeah. Like, you're worn out. Your knees are so worn down, you probably have a four or five-year career ahead of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to be Because, like, you're just, your knees are going to wear down so fast. And he ended up having a decent, like, seven or eight-year career. And and he would, because he went to a team that could use him in a better way mm. because he fell in the draft, but it was he fell like twenty picks in the draft right. because of that report, and so something like that where they're like, man, baseball, we're asking for twelve year deals, and you may have something whether it's cartilage or whatever it is where they're like, yep. this is not going to last twelve years, right. so we can tell you at best it's like nine, and you want us to pay you for three where you may not be able to walk. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point though. Yeah. And like I said, you may be able to play through it, but then, like you said, should we invest this much money in you? Exactly, because and, I'm and trying to years, win. Yeah. yeah. In the I'm, contracts. And you know, you've talked about it all the time. Baseball money is the best money because it's Ooh, guaranteed money. Guaranteed, man. And that is why you, when you're putting that type of money out there, and the Mets were about to pay. They didn't care about the payroll, the luxury tax. They didn't have. They didn't care. They saw an opportunity to go put him at third base with Francisco Lindor, and they were thinking championship. Champions. And now you're sitting here, and I'm wondering for him moving forward at this time, what does this do for his career? What does this do for his status? Like, what's next for him? And again, the Astros look like a genius right now. They mm-hmm. look like a genius because of, of of Pena and what he was able to do and, and how he's building for this team. It's just like, man, that's a weird and intriguing situation. And it's basically, turned, like you said, we're on a merry-go-round and we don't know when this is going to stop for him. I wish him nothing but the best because I do think he's one of the best players in the game. But it's just crazy to me of how much money has been lost, has been lost during this time where you went from going from 350 to now you might settle for 200. I mean, that's it's, still a good number. Like, but, yeah, just, but, but you're not one of the highest paid players in the game, which would have put you in that, that realm. At the time, yeah, he's still getting some cheese on that. Oh, Whopper. no doubt, yeah. no doubt, he's still getting. But I, I'm with you. It's amazing that we've had this him agree to this many different <laughs> contracts in one off season. Remember, I told, I came in here, I was like, "Woo, Correa about to get paid," and then it was like, "No press conference." Hold up, there was right. no press conference. And then all of a sudden, oh, while we were sleeping, he's agreed to a contract with the Mets. No press conference. <laughs> Everybody else has had their press conferences like, what about their on? signings. Yeah, and it's crazy. So when when do the physicals take place? Uh, as soon as they agree to the contract. So you just so you agree. Have to come in. So your agent, whatever, is like, hey, man, these are deals. We agree to it. We agree to it. Done. Um, yeah. We're good on the terms. And then the physical the takes physical place? The physical happens before they sign the contract. Okay, like right before. Yeah. And then that's yeah, when they're you like, hold on, bro. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah when you can't pull, come over there and pull the wool the over The questions and concerns happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. man. So crazy. Yeah, I it's yeah, I mean it makes sense. I mean, these teams they wanna make sure that they're it's a sound investment. Yeah. And that's a lot of money. I'm spending a lot of money. A lot of money, man. And you're gonna be on that Bobby Bonilla getting all that money later. You wanna make sure that it's worth it and <laughs> it's not worth it right now. And again, my man had eight hundred million offered to him this offseason. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> and lost. In a loss, one hundred and fifty because he's gonna end up signing for two hundred. How much of this you think is on the agent? Well, I think the agent was trying to help him, like they were trying to get things through and trying to get it 
uh, you know, yeah, trying to push passed, it through and get yeah. it done before any of these all these flags started popping and, up, yeah, started uh, happening. Yeah. yeah, is his agent Scott Boris right? Yeah, yeah, Boris is doing what you he can. figure he'd know well enough to not lie to teams about, and I'm sure he didn't lie. He I'm just sure. omitted information. But, like, you think, you, hey, that first one, that failed physical, you might want to go to the Mets and be like, hey, so there's this thing, don't worry about it, we know what it is, but we're, we have another doctor that says this. Yeah, when he was, when he was first signed, when he first signed with the, uh, the uh, Twins, he was offered a three-year, $105 million uh, deal, but he had to opt out out of the first year. That's kind of how we got to this okay. point. That's yeah. what got him there, and he, th- he put up good numbers, 291, 22 home runs, and obviously always played some good defense. But now it's like, uh-oh. I hope man. he finds a home, man. Uh, that is wild. And, uh, yeah, you're right. The Astros look like they're brilliant yeah. right yeah. now. Yeah. They, do. Yeah, they yeah. did. It looked like they made the right move. A lot of Astros fans were upset about that. Uh, but, man, the Astros – Right now, champions yep. uh, and Carlos Correa are dealing with whatever the hell this is. <laughs> All right, we'll come back. We'll uh, get into off the record on the other side. Uh, we got a couple of off the record stops, so a bit, bit of a smorgasbord. Uh, Mattress Mac lost a whole lot of money. Come on, man. Yeah, we'll talk about that more right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104 Down the Horn. DD Mega Doo Doo. I'm sorry, Mangoodoo. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Deli Cat Essen. Well, well, I don't get a brain bag comb. Congratulations. Continue good sex in the the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. All right, welcome back to another edition of Off the Record right here on Ball Don't Lie. Just a couple of random uh, topics that we want to get to here. Uh, I saw this story on Pro Football Talk. Everybody knows Bernie Kosar. Um, He was doing um, the pregame, kind of basically the pregame show for the, I think, the the Browns team, like official pregame coverage for the team. And I guess on this pregame coverage, he admitted that he placed a legal bet on the Browns, $19,000 bet on the Browns to beat the Steelers. Well, he obviously lost that bet because Steelers won. Um, Mary, yeah, Mary Kay Cabot of the uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer reported that um, he uh, announced that he was making the bet, also announced he was going to give all the proceeds to charity. And the reason he was doing this is because sports wagering is now legal in Ohio. Well, uh, the team didn't waste any time after he admitted that he was had made a bet on the Browns. They severed ties with him. No longer, they basically his services are no longer desired or needed. Uh, the organization said. So he's been an ambassador for the team in recent years, a contributor on their in-house radio shows. I was relieved of duty uh, this past Sunday in connection with the bet he placed on the Browns versus the Steelers. Mm, mm, $19,000 mm. bet. You know, the Browns, pillars of morality. <laughs> the NFL does have strict rules about employees and contractors betting on games of teams they're associated with and Kosar's bet doesn't align really with those rules. I mean, right. you got to go through a lot of degrees yeah. I'm of sure there's something in his contract. I'm sure there is. There's something in everybody's damn contract that will get you fired. So, yeah, apparently they didn't want him betting on the games and admitting that he was betting on the games. Not only did he admit it, he said it out loud on on, he did. on the, the broadcast. 
any loss. Any loss. Any loss. Any so, loss. So that income that you was thinking you was that you was gonna have to cover that, you didn't have that mattress Mac money where you can. That's true. You know, wager yeah, it. That's a good point. Now you over there looking at yourself like, man, I was just because they had just legalized sports betting. Yeah. Then. Yeah. No, because the story was the, charity. the yeah. first person to place a bet in Ohio. Was Pete Rose? Yes, imagine that. Is that real? Yeah, yeah. it no, is they, real. They made a big deal like, out of it. it was that like, uh, yeah, that was promotion. ceremonial, like first yeah, yeah. bet with Pete Rose. Wow, I mean yeah. ceremonial in that he actually placed a bet. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah legally. It, I guess if you're Pete Rose, <laughs> hey, you got to start. You know, you got to start being to make some money off of that your image and that stigma now that rep- that to represent. Um, okay, how about this? Speaking of bets that blew that blew up in your face, Mattress Mac, you just brought him up, mm. Harsh. He placed a three million dollar bet on T. TCU to beat the Georgia Bulldogs, and yes, he lost. Um, so basically, based on the six point two million he wagered on Alabama last year, and the three million he wagered on TCU this year to, to win, that's talking about nine million dollars he's lost on the two the last two national title games. Mm-hmm. Nine point two million to be unbelievable. Honest. That's a lot of cash, man. That's a, hey, but he got it. Yeah, it ain't tricking if you got it. There it is. That's what Wayne said. That's right. It ain't tricking if you got it. It ain't tricking if you got it. So he also has a $2.5 million bet right now, I believe, on the Cougars, Houston Cougars, to go all the way in the the tournament. I think you are 100% correct on that. Hopefully, Mattress Mac gets his money back. You got Uh, Houston Cougars. He's he's on the Jumbotron during Texas games. Come on now, Mattress. He's not putting it on Texas. I promise you that, buddy. He doesn't put money on. That's a great point. Well, Texas hadn't been in the conversation for a while. so Just saying. He's on there telling everybody to get loud. That's a good point, too. Uh, He's a sponsor. (laughs) Yeah, Mattress Mac. And, yeah, Mattress Mac, I mean, he's got Texas ties. Yeah. No question. There it is. Uh, No question. But um, I think he loves all the – the kind of the, the Texas schools. I think he's trying to show a little bit of love to all of them. All right, um, real quick. You know what? We'll get to that Jerry Jones sound uh, next segment. We can get to that coming up next segment. I don't know if we'll run out of time here. But there's some Jerry Jones sound that we want to play, so we'll get to that and we start talking some more NFL. Uh, but on the other side, we got to talk about the Old Testament, old biblical style mm. butt whipping that the TCU Horn Frogs received at the hands of the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, no question now who the greatest college football team in the land is. It is the Georgia Bulldogs. We'll talk Bruh. about that on the other side, right here on Ball Don't Lie, 104.9 The Horn.